0: Welcome to our ongoing series sponsored by Catholic Church Reform International. I'm your host, Renee Reed. Women have risen to new heights in the Western world and in a relatively short time. It's been only a hundred years this year that we gained the right to vote here in the United States. Yet, in the church, women are still treated as second and even third-class citizens. Here to discuss this with us today is my guest, Tina Beattie, who is a British writer and broadcaster. She's the Professor of Catholic Studies at the University of Roehampton in London and Director of the Digby Digby Stewart Research Centre for Religion, Society and Human Flourishing. Tina, welcome. Thank you, Amy. It's nice to be here. Given how much the Church has failed in its treatment of women, where do we begin? What do you see as the major challenges facing women in the Church today?
1: I guess I would want to begin by saying it's not a universal story of failure. I think we can begin by recognizing that if we are Catholic women, we are actually part of the most enduring historical tradition in human history that has actually preserved more writings and insights by named women in its history than any other human tradition. So I like to begin by saying, why would we bother at all? And and for me, that means beginning with what I see as good and worth bothering with. So, of course, there would be the fundamental theological um, faith claims about creation, incarnation, the love and mercy of God, redemption. And then for me, there would be a task of reclaiming and retrieving the lost wisdom of women, which is not entirely lost to us because it has been preserved, albeit in forms that have always had to be approved and censored by a male authoritarian hierarchy. And that's the challenge today, of course, but times have changed i would say that what modern secularism has offered is the emergence into clearer view of the fundamental human equality that's there in the beginning of the christian jewish and muslim scriptural traditions which share a creation story that affirms the creation of the human made in the image and likeness of God. And I think secular society paradoxically have allowed women to move into language and representation in a way that's much closer to fulfilling that vision of Christianity about creation and redemption than the church itself has allowed. So I think what we need to do is to hold in tension Fidelity to a tradition that has much to offer us and a sustained challenge to a present hierarchy that is actually holding us back. What do you think
0: we as lay women can do ourselves to initiate more of this movement forward? It's not going to happen from up above, it's got to happen from us.
1: You know, we are the church and um Rather aging, fearful men in red silk chuntering away in Rome, I suspect think they're more important than they really are. I don't think many Catholics actually feel duty bound to follow the rules and obey in quite the way that we're perceived to do, often by the secular world, often by the hierarchy. So I think even now there is an enormous vitality and dynamism to the, uh, the lay catholic world across the world and particularly i see that among women you know there's a huge challenge to us because so many of the best have left when i think about my catholic friends as a convert there was a time when after i moved to the uk my whole friendship group was practicing catholic women rather like me and i think i'm the only one left who would still attend mass and regard myself as practicing that's the challenge but we are there and we are speaking and we can't be silenced. and i think the grassroots dynamism isn't to be underestimated this is where the church is at so is the action
0: to speak up is that the main thing we have to do just keep speaking up
1: I think we have to discern what our gifts and vocations are, and above all, work together and not in opposition to each other, so I'm someone who finds it very easy to speak, I have access to publishing and to the media, and I feel those are opportunities I must use, and I'm also not in a job where I'm vulnerable to being dismissed because of my views. I've been hassled and silenced and disinvited a few times but fundamentally my ability to um, pay the mortgage doesn't depend upon the approval of the hierarchy unlike many of my colleagues in more Catholic dominated institutions. So for someone like me yes I do keep speaking out but I know people who are shy and who may feel that they don't have the educational background or whatever else they feel doesn't allow them a platform. And those people have just as much to do It's the way we are within the lives we have. And it's when some external force is bearing down upon us and not allowing us to live those lives in all their muddled complexity that I think we have to say, what is this force? And I do not have to succumb to it. So it's finding ways around those oppressive influences, which I think affect women in the church in different ways, depending on their roles. You know, for some it might be a feeling of a conscience trapped by humana Vitae. I know there are still women who feel that. I personally struggle. I think, why on earth would you allow that fundamentally rejected teaching to dominate your sex life? But then. That's not who I am. I wasn't raised with a kind of reverence for dark teaching, quite frankly. And I don't have much hesitation about not bothering with them if they're patently not being followed and not relevant to real lives of human beings doing their best. So I think each of us can say, where is this tradition giving me irrational and unaccountable rules that may be inhibiting me? And where can I just quietly ignore it? And where is it just a wonderful source of wisdom?
0: I know you've said that it is not easy being a feminist and a Catholic. And as much as we all love Pope Francis, he isn't making our struggle any easier. Women don't seem to have a place in the Pope's vision of a Catholic church, that vision that really cares for the world's poor people.
1: Yeah. You know, he says amazing things about dialogue and he is clearly a man of enormous integrity and wisdom who is absolutely open to dialogue everywhere and with everyone except women. And I'm not denying that he's trying to promote women to positions of leadership, but he is sincere in saying that he wants to change things around the status of women in the church. But I wonder why he doesn't apply his fundamental insistence upon the importance of dialogue to women. You know, just by quoting a few feminist theologians in his encyclical, Sardato C is absolutely redolent with insights that resonate from the work of eco-feminists. I mean, you know, there isn't much in there, there is some, but there isn't much one could criticise. An eco feminist perspective, and I think it would just be a sign that this commitment to dialogue includes women if he reached out in that way. And it might also stop him making some of the mistakes he makes in that cyclical by rather romanticizing Mother Earth um, and her struggles and sufferings without ever, in any paper document that I know of, any acknowledgement of nearly 300,000 real living women and girls who every year die through the realities of pregnancy and childbirth, for example. So I think there's still this worrying disjunction between, you know, a maternal papal romance of what it means to Mm be a woman and the realities, the incarnational realities of blood and struggle and joy and grief that we women go through, whether we're biological mothers or not.
0: I really find that cultural diversity can often make a difference, but the Amazonian Synod gave me hope. So much happened there that even though they were speaking only of their region of the world, I think it's going to have an impact on the universal church. But I think women in the Amazon did more, so much for women in the church universally. Do you see it that way?
1: Well, working as I do, you know, I've been, over the last few years, I've been really inspired and challenged to work with women from Africa and Asia, um, to read the insights of women from Latin America, and also to work with women in Eastern and Central Europe, and I become increasingly aware of the enormous diversity and of the significance of what women are doing in all these contexts often in the face of struggle, but also with enormous perseverance. With regard to women in the, um, in the Synod on the Amazon, I do think that women in the Church in Latin America have taken on enormous and significant responsibility. And it's one reason why I'm a little disturbed that the ordination of married men might fill gaps currently being filled by women. I would so much rather see the ordination of women first. <laughs>
0: Uh, Me too. Speaking about this cultural diversity, do you see it different for Catholic women, say in North America versus South America or Catholic women in Asia versus Europe?
1: do and i think each of these contexts again needs to be broken down the one thing and i say this tentatively but i haven't yet had cause to revisit this opinion that everywhere i go domestic violence and violence against women is a universal concern i think of women now on issues like ordination on issues like leadership and on a wide range of other issues there will be some difference of opinion, difference of interpretation, even on issues around sexual and reproductive health and rights we all agree that that's a concern but I think some women have a different perspective on how we tackle that from others but everywhere I go and try to listen to what is it that women are really concerned about in this culture violence, domestic abuse and I have to say the silent pandemic of priestly sexual abuse of women. So okay, we've talked about the sex abuse scandal, we've talked about the horrors of paedophilia. When women in more oppressive church cultures are given a voice to speak, we are going to see a tsunami of abuse.
0: This week we at Catholic Church Reform International are honoring Sister Rosalie Bertoldo from the Amazon, from who has done so much work in human trafficking to fight human trafficking down there. So uh, there's going to be a a dinner honoring her this week just for that reason. So there are women who are really rising up to take more and more charge of some area where they specialize. Yeah, enormous strength and resilience. Everybody's talking about this film that came out recently, The Two Popes, it makes makes me wonder how you evaluate the legacy of Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI with regard to women in particular in the church. Mm,
1: well, <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> I do think that Pope John Paul II of all modern popes is the one who, most wanted to respond to the challenges that women were presenting you know if you go back and look in 1994 um, the Cairo Conference on Population and Development the UN conference was a disaster for that PR I mean even those who who are supportive of the, the Holy See's role in the United Nations said really it was a PR catastrophe the way they presented it So, you know, Pope John Paul II at the 1995 Beijing Women's Conference issued an amazing series of writings about women's rights and the wrongs done to women through history. And really, when I use those with students and say, who do you think wrote this? They'll say, oh, Mary Daly, Rosemary Radford Ruther. And then I say, well, actually, it was Pope John Paul II. But I think the problem is, um, dare I say, I think maybe he was a rather arrogant man didn't take kindly to correction and i think when feminists for wrong reasons as well as right reasons were hostile to this message coming out of the vatican he kind of threw his toys out of the cram i think and just thought if they're not going to listen to me when i'm trying so hard i'm going to stop trying almost and i do see a kind of shift to a more authoritarian view and a less tolerant, open view. But, you know, also John Paul II, as we now know, had a very, very long, very intimate relationship with a woman companion. I'm not saying there was anything sexual in it, who knows, but, you know, there's no reason to think there was. But that really helped me to understand his rather... Romantic views on sexuality and marriage, in his theology of the body—you know—he was an old-fashioned troubadour. He kind of liked to yearn for women from afar, and doesn't realize that in marriage, sex is as much about remembering to put the dustbins out afterwards as it is about the procreative and unitive aspects of the sex act being expressed every single time. I mean, that's that's no one in a real marriage would ever think that those kinds of teachings work. So. There was a tremendous fantasy around pope john paul ii although i do think there was at least initially a real endeavor to reach out i don't think benedict XVI was particularly interested in women as a category and, and, yet, be- and yet like like john paul he
0: too had a very close woman friend just yes. a very good friend oh,
1: did he? I that i think he had a too.
0: huge influence
1: I know i mean friends i know who know him say he was quite comfortable with women i don't think he had that romantic thing about feminine genius he was of course much more preoccupied with what he called gender ideology you know that just as i think in the 1980s conservative american catholics put the wind up rome about liberation theology and said it's all about marx so I think they went off with distorted caricatures of Judith Butler in the '90s and said gender ideology is all about being able to choose your sex. And, and you know Pope Francis still does that. So, but anyway, sorry, I'm going on at length. But I think the legacy of Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, the first because of Romanticism, both of them because of authoritarianism, was a was a, a disaster for women in the church.
0: And I think um, Humanae Vitae and their positions on birth control somehow are tied in with their positions on gender ideology and, and women in the church. There's some connection between the two.
1: I think there, there are two fundamental problems that we haven't yet scratched the surface of. One is an overwhelming male fear of female sexuality, which is not by any means confined to the Catholic Church, but you know the power of the female body. To give birth and therefore its associations with death as well is, is from a psychoanalytic perspective as well. We we have a kind of symbolic power vested in what it means to be a woman that I think is really hot to handle. But we need to we need to think through that. And the other thing I think in the Catholic tradition is what on earth are women for? Because if you read Catholic ecclesiology, the feminine, maternal, female roles are all fluid. Men occupy them in different positions in the church, as brides of Christ and as members of Holy Mother Church. So they're left with this kind of residue of this female fleshy body, which symbolically can be male as well as female. So what what on earth are women for? We must be to procreate. And if you if you take away that, um it's a bit worrying about why on earth would we exist at all then surely not just her sexual pleasure that would be very worrying <laughs> so i think we're up against a whole lot of um unanswered questions that go much deeper than equal rights or ordination of women until we can get to those questions we need to worry away at these grassroots of what is going on in these sexual relationships or lack of them
0: <laughs> Francis has been such an asset to the church, I mean personally, I wasn't willing to put this much energy into the reform of the church until he was elected, but having said this, do you think Pope Francis has made any significant difference to the position of women in the church today?
1: I do, and I'll tell you why, and I speak as someone who has been silenced and disinvited and condemned. Um, Really, whether explicitly or implicitly, by the authoritarian regime with lots of misogyny within it that his two predecessors set up. And I think in unravelling that, in challenging clericalism, in challenging this kind of doctrinal absolutism, he has recognised that instead of changing where the players are, he has to change the chessboard, if you like, he has to change the rules of the game and i think he is preparing the way for his successors and finish what he's starting
0: and it seems that he's thinking ahead he is appointing progressive cardinals uh there's some discussion right now about his moving cardinal tagle tagley to Rome for kind of a, a key important role and position there. Some speculation that he could be the one being considered to follow. So I think, I think Francis does not expect to get everything done in his time, but that he is helping lay the groundwork for the future. I hope
1: that's what he's thinking. I feel that. And you know, I also noticed that there isn't now that sort of of censorship so someone like me for all of us who want to talk about things like women's ordination um, like issues of sexuality lgbtqi there's far less sense that you have to look over your shoulder if you're in any institutional position and far more sense that Um, you can dialogue you can say these things without necessarily immediately being trampled down by the powers that be in rome so i think he has created that and i yes i i do think that this change in ethos will prepare the way for a change uh, that will affect women in the church but i also think that we have to take responsibility to occupy the spaces he's creating And that means not waiting for permission. It means believing what he says about clericalism. You know, he says, if you get a letter from the CDF, tear it up and put it in the bin. Well, good, but let's do that. And if we're not willing to take that responsibility, if we're always waiting to say, but he hasn't said this and he hasn't done that. Well, let us say it and let us do it. And, you know, he can respond. (laughs) That's what dialogue is. So,
0: given our discussion about the struggles of women, what are your hopes for the Church of Tomorrow? Beyond Francis, in the future, with the younger generation moving forward, what are your hopes with regard to women?
1: You know, I suppose I'm always hesitant about the idea of progress, because my, it's not exactly a fear, but my intuition is that we're moving towards difficult times. And through history, the church has had good times and bad times. My fear is that we are moving into times when we will need resilience and resistance um, before we see any of the moves we'd like. And in particular, I guess my most fundamental urgent hope is that we take Laudato C carefully and seriously and actively, because if there is no sustainable planet for us to inhabit there's no point in talking about what i hope for women so my first hope is that we get serious about the environment and the injustices that are all so beautifully and passionately outlined in that rfc but he's not going to do that by not including women that's the paradox if you want to put mother earth to rights and think you can do it as guys alone without women helping you without women as partners then think again, guys, because you're not going to get there. (laughs) So he has to bring women in. If we're going to save this planet, every single person on the planet has to bring wisdom to the task.
0: And in particular, I'm thinking young women. I mean, it's rather obvious to say that young people are the future of the Church, but young people and young women see the environment as critical They're out talking about it. They're out promoting it. In many ways, I see them as using social justice issues, the environmental issues, the struggles of the less fortunate as a means of being Christ in today's world. That is how they practice their Christianity. It's much more important
1: to them than how often they attend church. You know, I kind of wish that were true, but there's another side of me that says, so many of those most committed young people are not in the church because they would feel unwelcome in the church. And what I see among faithful practicing young Catholics, not I'm not generalizing here. I know there's huge diversity. but sadly, it does seem that many of those who hang on in there in the church are hanging on in because they seek the security of very strict rules and, you know, young men in impossibly extravagant clerical gear and young women in lace mantillas, I also see that side of it. And I'm not knocking that. I mean, that's something about Catholicism. But at the same time, I think there's a risk, you know, that a, a bishop in Poland recently called Greta Sunberg the Antichrist. Well, sorry, but if, if the men who lead the church are willing to speak like that, they're not going to get the people we need most. In the church, working with us, so I have mixed feelings about that, which is why I think we need resilience and resistance as well as hope, because we need to see that, uh, however well-intentioned Francis is, it's like turning an oil tanker around. That's an unfortunate metaphor in the context of the environment, but you know there are so many um, reactionary, um, negative men in the hierarchy still. I mean, look at. Raymond Burke, George Pell, I know he's doing time for something else but climate deniers, doctrinaires, authoritarian really a kind of cult of clerical narcissism still we have to we have to struggle against and I, I don't think that is going to create the kind of inclusive endeavor we need for the future so my prayer is, I believe it's God's church, I believe that we don't always recognize how the Holy Spirit is working, but that she is working. Um, But on a very human level, I do pray that the next Pope will continue rather than subvert what Pope Francis has tried to achieve. And I think a lot depends on that.
0: Yes, I'm with you on that prayer. You know, the Episcopal Church has most everything that I personally am striving for. They have women priests. They have the LGBT community treated with dignity, particularly here in the the US. They allow the divorced and remarried to have a path back to the Eucharist.